and welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. And I'm Craig. For today's episode, we've gone back to Italy for another Italian film by one of my favorite Italian horror film directors, Dario Argento. We've done a couple of his, at least one of his before, right? I think we did Deep Red, uh-huh. maybe The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, uh-huh. and this one is more of a straight horror film than those others. Those others were what we would call giallo pictures, which in case you haven't heard those episodes, are a very famous kind of a detective story, the slash slasher film that uh, was very popular during the 70s. Uh, in Italy, and made a bit of an impact in the U.S., but uh, they're very stylistic. And Dario Argento is one of the directors responsible, I think, for setting some of the style of those films. And uh, he carries it through into the straight horror genre as well, kind of like his contemporaries of uh, Lucio Fulci. I would say he probably he probably deals more in the horror genre than any other. And uh, this one uh, is called Phenomena, and this is one of his first films and only films that got a what we what you would consider proper theatrical release in the states, even though it was cut up uh, considerably when it was released here. Interestingly enough, as we as we discovered when we started watching this, most of the Italian films we've been seeing are shot in Italian, or at least maybe they're shot in English, but then they have to redub them again in English um, because they usually don't record the sound on the set. They always record it afterwards. In this case, the movie was shot in English, but then redubbed in Italian. <laughs> <laughs> so we were watching uh, people clearly speaking English, if you were looking at their lips, and several English, a couple you know, American actors in this. But then we're hearing it Italian come out, and we're reading the subtitles at the bottom of the screen. That's because we watched the uncut version. We, we des- uh, I decided that if we were going to do this, we are going to do it right, and we should watch the original instead of the one that was cut up for the American release. I had heard uh, that it was better anyway, that it made a little more sense. But it did make for a bit of a longer movie, didn't it, Craig? Yeah. How long did it end up being? Almost two hours. Yeah, okay, I asked that. It was a trick question because I have to confess that I cheated a little bit. Ah! Um, the version that we both had, uh, the file type was not supported on the device I was using, so I had to go to YouTube to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's there in its entirety. It's like an hour and 56 minutes. Um, but most of it is in English with the original English actors no way. You know, speaking their line. Oh. And the reason that I know that is because the star of the movie is Jennifer Connelly, and I love her. Like, I I've been madly in love with her since the 80s when I first saw Labyrinth. So I I totally recognize her voice. So I know it was her. What I will say, though, is in the version that I watched, there were some scenes that were in Italian, and they were brief, and they were kind of far between, but there were some scenes that were in Italian, and I and they did not have subtitles. So you may have to fill in a couple little holes for me uh, here and there, because I was watching... Uh, Italian, and I don't speak Italian, but I think I got the whole movie. That sounds like about right. It was an hour and 56 minutes for me, too. And uh, I'm with you on that. Uh, I I fell in love with Jennifer Tilly uh, at The Rocketeer. (laughs) That's nice, but this is Jennifer Connelly. I'm sorry. You're right. Jennifer Tilly wasn't in the rocket in the Rocketeer. <laughs> Jennifer Connelly in the Rocketeer was just a total babe, and uh, she's oh, yeah. she's a babe in this movie too. Much younger though, uh, not much younger, but a bit younger. I read that she uh, got her finger bit off during this movie. <laughs> yeah, I read that too. 
<laughs> by a monkey, right? Okay, because <laughs> there's a monkey. Because why wouldn't there be? <laughs> why wouldn't there you know, be a monkey? This this movie, I, I had never seen it. I remember seeing the cover art, I think. You oh, know, yeah. I think that the cover art was just like kind of her face uh, and then maybe kind of surrounded by bugs or something. I don't remember. But I never got around to seeing it. And I was actually kind of surprised looking at the date that it was 1985 because yeah. that was, you know, kind of right in our heyday um, for, you know, watching horror movies or whatever. But I had never seen it until today. And it's interesting to me that you said that it's so different from the Giallo pictures because really, to me, it doesn't really seem all that different different oh, it's yeah. still kind of a murder mystery whodunit detective type story i guess you're right except in this one the detectives are a 14 year old girl and her bugs it has the supernatural element to it right it's right. kind of like i mean I, I mean to be honest though i mean how many slasher movies are basically that it's it's a person with no supernatural abilities who's just wandering around killing people and it's up to everybody in the movie to either find out who he is or get killed get killed so, <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's not all that different and some of them throw in the detective angle like i was just thinking about prom night which was basically that but then it had a detective angle that was thrown in the last minute that made no sense <laughs> <laughs> well the final the, the final act of this movie was a little confusing oh my as well <laughs> it was all over um, the place having never seen it before and watching it today a couple of things struck me first of all it felt modern, or at least 80s modern, in compared to the 70s Giallo films, and a big part of that was the music. Uh, yeah. The soundtrack is by Goblin, right? It is, although, um, he, I mean, and they're credited big time in the front, and they're, and they're, you know, they do all of his pictures, but I actually read that they contributed very little to this soundtrack. I read, believe it or not, that the only contribution that Goblin made was actually the music from uh, Dawn of the Dead, which apparently plays in the background during one of the television scenes or something. Huh. And that, that really striking score that we hear that sounds very Goblin-esque um, is not by them. That's what I read anyway. Well, and it, it was it, that doesn't really surprise me too much because a lot of the scenes are set to what really feels like 80s contemporary rock music, yeah. almost to a point where it seems a little bit out of place. Like, mm -hmm. you'll have kind of this harrowing scene where somebody's running away from a killer or whatever, and they'll just be like this awesome jam in the background. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like... It's like Motorhead or Iron Maiden or something, and it sounds like somebody just flipped on the radio. <laughs> right. I mean, it's good music. I, I liked the music, but it's it seemed a little out of place in places. So that was one of the things that struck me. And the other thing that struck me was that it it it's very much Argento. Now, you're much more of a fan of his than I am. I've seen the movies that we've watched together, and I've seen Suspiria. Um, but this definitely has hints of Suspiria in it. You know, oh, yeah. this this young girl, Jennifer Connelly, she, her name is Jennifer in the movie, too, um, gets sent off. Her dad's a famous actor. She gets sent off to this famous Swiss boarding school, and then all of it, but, uh-oh, there's a killer that's mm -hmm. going around and killing all girls. of these young girls. And so she has to – so then it becomes a mystery. Who? How are we going to find out who this killer is? And that's very kind of classic. But then there's also an entomologist who has a monkey who is also his nurse. <laughs> 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 and and Jennifer Connelly can talk to bugs. Yeah. There you go. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the movie in a nutshell. 
I love the creativity, though. Like, I... I mean, movies can get absurd, and you know me, I often um, fault films for being outside of the realm of believability, but I do tend to give a pass to these Italian films, because I just, as I've said before, I just, I don't believe that the plot in these films is really meant to be followed closely. I feel like, first and foremost, these directors uh, are more concerned about imagery, almost about creating visual poems, you know, than they are about a, a plot. And so what we get is more in service to the style and the feeling and the image and the emotion you're supposed to be getting, as opposed to making any sort of coherent sense as to what's right. actually going on. But I, I, but I also I love the idea. Like, I mean, who in the world? Uh, this has got to be the only film that has a monkey in it that has an entomologist who solves crimes with bugs. <laughs> and, uh, and does it, you know it solves a mystery with the help of a girl who has a psychic connection to bugs right you know it's like right. <laughs> one of a kind <laughs> it is and and it's funny because in talking about the plot even when i was watching it i was thinking god this is pretty stupid yeah. and yet and yet ultimately i liked the movie like right. <laughs> and frankly i really kind of not sure why i liked it but <laughs> i did <laughs> i mean it, it as long as it was and it does get a little bit slow in some yeah. places i mean i think that they could have you know maybe trimmed some fat here and there but for the most part it was intriguing and uh, you know i was curious the very first scene is this girl is like on a field trip or something and she gets left behind and so she, you know, they're out in the country so she walks to the nearest house and um, when she goes in it seems like there's nobody there but we see that there's someone or something chained to the walls and it's trying to break the chains and eventually it does and then whatever it is attacks her, wraps the chains around her neck and then chases her outside and there's like um, a big waterfall and she's kind of on a bridge or something. And yeah. I feel like she gets stabbed first. Is that she right? Gets, she gets stabbed with a pair of scissors. It's really, again, it's so stylishly Argento. He loves these close-ups and especially of the brutality. Um, and yeah. early on when uh, she's breaking free of these chains, a pair of scissors falls from a table and it hits the floor and just like sticks in the floor and you get this shiny bright silvery scissors right there in the foreground that he makes a big deal out of and then as she's being chased you see that the killer you never again classic argento you never see the killer except maybe some gloved hands or maybe in a an overcoat or something which come to think of it doesn't make a lot of sense in this film but all right anyway uh it's there and uh and, and then you just see these scissors almost like the scissors are coming after her and when she gets cornered in the waterfall he just stabs her repeatedly in the gut and then this poor girl like this is like a waterfall i guess you could visit like a tourist attraction right and and she's kind of under it in kind of a cave like area and i guess there's a piece of glass there like a glass window to keep her from falling keep people from falling backwards but her head goes backwards through this window shatters the glass it's a very slow motion scene and then uh the next thing we see is a shot from the other end uh her head has been severed and flies off into the waterfall and down and then we see the body being dragged away in in an upside down view 
of the body being dragged away. It, it's just so stylish, but it's it's pretty brutal. <laughs> it's yeah, pretty, it is. This poor girl, chains around her neck, stabbed repeatedly with some scissors, pushed backwards through a piece of plate glass, and then her head gets lopped off. Whew. Right, and and that was uh, Argento's daughter, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I, Fiore Argento played that small role. She that, gets she gets like really high billing. <laughs> yeah. but she's only in that. She's only in that one scene. I guess that's the perk of being the director's daughter. Right, um, right. But yeah, okay, so then we know there's a killer. Now, it's funny, I, I really kind of wish that we had seen the same version because I just don't know. I think that we did, but you say, you know, there's like the gloved hands or whatever. Well, I was actually looking for that because that is so characteristic of his movies, but I didn't see it in this. Not in the first scene, I'm sorry. It wasn't in the first scene. It was in the later on. You didn't see it at all later on? Yeah, later on, yes, but okay. much later on because I for, I would say, the first hour of the movie, well, really, up until the third act, when we actually do see somebody in a coat, I was I was absolutely one hundred percent certain it was the monkey. Like, because <laughs> <laughs> why would I be? was I was absolutely sure that the monkey was the killer. Uh, um, but spoiler alert, it's not. <laughs> After that scene, then Jennifer Connelly arrives, and, um, you know, again, she's very beautiful, but she kind of plays, I mean, she's likable, but at times she's also a little bit stuck up. I mean, you can tell that she's rich. Her dad's a famous actor, and um, she goes to this school, and it's what, the Richard Wagner International School for Girls, and it's this big, beautiful mansion-like building, and she meets her roommate, who is Sophie, and, like, Sophie's infatuated with her dad, and... um, and and then she's like telling Sophie's just kind of talking about oh yeah this is our school or whatever you know I'm really glad you're here I've always had to sleep alone it can be very scary thanks for coming I'm the one who should thank you don't let me forget I owe you a meal you know there's a murderer around here a crazy man a maniac who kidnaps girls our age and kills them and then he hides the bodies we change the subject i need my sleep i'm really tired from the trip (laughs) (laughs) get that right out in the open (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh it's just so funny like that's just you know the bathroom's on the left there's a murderer who kills us Just watch out. For as much as, you know, this this seems to be a real issue, especially in the grounds surrounding the school. They don't put the school on lockdown. It's still a pretty open campus. They have no trouble wandering around. No, um, there's no security. Yeah. It's it's so Suspiria, though, you know? She comes yeah, oh, this, yeah. Like, in Suspiria, it was this old mansion that's a ballet school. And this is just another old mansion that's a girl's school. They're both girls' schools. Um, but I felt like Suspiria did a better job of making me believe that this was actually a school. And yeah. Because in this one, there's this foyer, and the girls are milling about in it, and it all seems a little staged. It all seems mm-hmm. a little pushed and forced, like, oh, we got to put some extras in the back of the scene, and they need to be carrying school books, and let's have them talking in this corner and talking in this corner. But I don't really get the sense that this would be a place where the girls would actually mill about and be talking. Right. It was hard for me to believe that this school, just from the way that it was staged and the way that this different scenes unfolded, was actually in this this huge mansion. But but just just like Suspiria too, um, as soon as she gets there, the headmistress meets her at the at the front, and she tells her, you know, this is the main house. This is where the school is. There are other houses on these grounds, but don't go there. They're all closed up. 
So instantly, you know, something's going to happen there too. <laughs> right, right. And, and it immediately does because, well, first, this is so insignificant, but I just bring it up because it's an interesting piece of trivia. Uh, Jennifer Connelly has a very Phoebe Cates in Gremlins moment where she tells this story about how her mom left on Christmas. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's, it's something like, you know, they were all opening presents or whatever. And then there was a phone call and her mom answered it. And the mom was like, I'll be right there. And it turns out that was her lover on the phone and she left and she never came back. Uh, it's really insignificant to the plot. The only reason that I brought it up was because I, I was reading that that is actually a story from Dario Argento's childhood. Like, oh, I guess that really guy. happened to him. Poor guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Be right back. It's, really, it's funny. It's just like kind of this random somber story. Like, I expected it to have some significance, but it doesn't. It Apparently, doesn't. he just wanted to get his story out there. But he, but he makes a big deal out of it. Yeah, it like zooms in slowly on her face. Yeah. And telling it. It takes like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> then the girls go to sleep, and Jennifer Connolly starts having these dreams, and it's in these dreams where the style of Argento really shines through. Um, it's very surreal. There's a lot of interesting use of color. Like she finds herself like running down this like stark white hallway, and it's just real quick jump cuts between images and she's seeing kind of these violent images and weird things but meanwhile she's also sleepwalking with her eyes open and she's walking around the school and she ends up walking like up onto the roof and she walks along this ledge and i didn't even really understand what was going on here like the way that i understood it is she actually witnessed a murder is that correct i think so yeah but because she was sleepwalking when she woke up she didn't remember Gotcha. So she sees a girl get killed in the school. But it's a cool scene because she's going across. And, and I think this is where we also – is this where we're also getting the, the crazy like rock soundtrack going in the Probably, background? yeah. And, and I felt like because they have the TV on, it seems like, all night. And mm-hmm. he does make kind of a point of showing the TV. And at the time she falls asleep, there is a band playing on TV. I thought that the only way that this music really made sense in this scene was I thought it was carrying through into her dream from playing in the background uh, in the room. But, um, yeah, she walks across the ledge, and she goes out there, and it's just randomly, you know, there's this girl who's been chased um, into this other more boarded-up mansion on the property that she's on the roof of now, or along the ledge of now, and she had dreamed, I think, we're meant to think, that she had dreamed this sequence of this girl being chased by the killer. But maybe not. Maybe that was just something we saw earlier. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but anyway, she ends up uh, at the top in front of a window when this girl gets spe- this girl gets pushed through the window again. So here we have again this girl whose head goes through a plate glass window. And then she gets speared with this device. And we see that close-ups of this Again, this really silvery spear, I guess, being assembled, cut in with these chase scenes. And uh, right through the mouth, (laughs) like through Uh the back of her head, out through her mouth, which, of course, is messed up. And Jennifer sees this, and then the girl gets pulled back in, and Jennifer starts to walk back along the ledge. And as she walks back, part of the ledge falls away. And there's this – it's like a whole action scene, really. Um, mm-hmm. that I thought was really impressive because a lot of it's filmed from from far away. So you can see there's actually a person dangling there. Um, and it just happens to catch on her clothes so that she doesn't fall. But then, you know, it rips. But then there's like kind of a long plant there that she can catches her and 
droops her down to the ground. So even though she ends up falling from a high place, she doesn't get injured. Right. She ends up in the town. It's sort of, it's sort of again, this is so dreamlike because you don't really see her get from point A to point B. It's just like suddenly she's not in front of the mansion anymore. She's in the the street in the middle of the town. Right. Just kind of stumbling along. Yeah, and almost gets hit by cars and she almost gets hit by two guys in a convertible and you they get out and they're like, "Are you okay? Are you on drugs? What's going on?" And you think that they're like helping her cuz they get her into the car, but she's struggling. But then as they're driving down the street from their dialogue, it sounds like they're going to like have their way with her. It, did you get that impression? It was in Italian. <laughs> Oh, it was all in Italian. Well, they're, they're the, the, yeah. The whole scene in the car was in Italian, but oh. yeah, I mean, it's, it's that's what it seemed like. They were being aggressive um, and and like you know not letting her go or whatever. And it seemed sinister. It didn't seem helpful. Yeah, they were saying to each other like, um, "What do you think? Do you think she's on drugs? Do you think we can do it?" And this kind of stuff. Gotcha. So th- the fact that she escapes is, from them is good too. This is just like peril around every corner for this poor woman. Right. But she, she man- jumps out of the car, <laughs> <laughs> like rolls into the forest, <laughs> and then the monkey saves her. <laughs> and then the monkey saves her. <laughs> and it's so funny. Like, well, first of all, she sits there and like talks to some ladybugs for a while. I say talks to. She doesn't really talk to them, but like she has like these, you know, like psychic communications with them or whatever. And then the monkey shows up and she's like, oh, hello, monkey. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll take your hand. (laughs) I'll take your hand. Where are we going? (laughs) And the monkey, whose name is Ingrid, I think, right? Or Ilsa. What's her name? Inga. Inga. Okay. Her name is Inga. And uh, Inga takes her back to the uh, entomologist's house. And the entomologist is John McGregor, Professor John McGregor. And he's a paraplegic. And he's played by Donald Pleasance of Halloween fame. And they strike up an immediate bond because he says that he's an entomologist. And she's like, oh, I really like bugs. And he's like, oh, I used to know a girl who liked bugs. She used to, she, you remind me of her. She used to come and visit me, but then she stopped coming because she got killed. <laughs> the killer got her. <laughs> Poor Greta. Right? But, you know, so they form this bond and he tells her, you know, you've got to get control of this sleepwalking. Next time you sleepwalk, you know, recognize it and tell yourself, I'm sleepwalking, I have to wake up. And she's like, oh, okay, I will, but it's not going to be any big deal. This hasn't happened in a long time. I don't expect it to happen again. And uh, she ends up going back to the school where the horrible headmistress, who has just been a bitch to her from the beginning, yeah. like, without without any motivation, yeah, decides that she's crazy. The stock, <laughs> terrible headmistress, you know. Yeah. You got I mean, she's like beautiful. This. She's a beautiful woman. She but is really. She's nasty. <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, before they leave, uh, they have another conversation, and he mentions the phone or fawn or something. It's just they talk about the wind, basically. This is another visual theme that's carrying throughout the movie. It seems like whenever something bad is going to happen or the killer is going to strike, it just gets really windy all of a sudden. And they keep talking about this place, like they call it the Swiss... They're in Switzerland. They talk about the wind, and oh, it's the wind, mm-hmm. it's the evil wind, and it's like the Swiss Transylvania. And I'm not sure exactly what that means. Does that mean it's like supernatural? Like I guess. Transylvania yeah, like, is really bad windy. Bad things happen there. I don't I, know. <laughs> but, um, but that's another thing that he makes a really good point of, of zooming in on Donald Pleasance when he mentions this. And I was kind of happy they brought it up because I was noticing, you know, as the movie was going on, that this wind would really pick up uh, whenever the killer was around and bad things were happening. It's not something that really, I think, makes a lot of sense, but it's just something that visually really adds something to the movie. Just it's a poetic element to it. 
And and we had actually met this guy earlier in an yeah. earlier scene. Um, he had been talking with a couple of detectives, and it looked like they had the head of the girl that we had seen earlier. This is when it sets up for us the fact that he's into bugs, and apparently he's this guy's a, a genius. This guy's discovered all kinds of things about bugs. One of the things he's discovered is how, supposedly anyway, according to the movie, bugs eat corpses. We call them the eight squadrons of death. First comes the common fly, lays its eggs in the rotting corpse, and thus the cycle begins. Each group stays 15 days. 15 multiplied by eight, the number of the groups. Now I see, by calculating the presence and the growth of the flies or the maggots, you can pinpoint the exact date of death. And while she's over there, he mentions how she's, she seems to have this connection with the flies and the bugs that are in there. So he's playing with the bug, and it squirts him, and she touches it, and he's like, be careful. And she's like, no, no, it won't squirt me. He's, she's got a, like a fly on her, and it's just you know just walking all over her arm. Which none of this, I mean, this is all pre-CGI, so they had to yeah. be working with real, except for a couple elements where they're flying bugs where you can tell it's animated. They had to yeah. be working with real animals here, and that in and of itself, I think, was kind of amazing that they were mm-hmm. able to catch these moments or, or cajole these bugs into getting these great shots of her interacting with them without flying away. Yeah, and so it's just <laughs> it's just so funny. It's just like, it's just established. Oh, bugs really like you. Oh, yeah, they always have. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. But um, it, it does make some, a little bit of sense later within the realm of the film. Uh, sure. In, in that he reveals that part of his research that nobody believes uh, is that he discovered that bugs actually communicate telepathically. Mm-hmm. And so it would stand a reason if she is like a telepathic type person that maybe she has a telepathic um, connection to these bugs. So the movie tries to make like a pseudoscientific explanation for all this. But it's really goofy, like you say, like, oh, wow, here's this girl who has a connection to bugs who happens to run into this etymologist. And <laughs> Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of goofy, but it's a movie. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, you, you, just, you just accept, okay, she has a psychic connection with bugs. Fine. All right. But when she goes when she goes back to school, the headmistress is convinced that she's sick, and she's got this doctor who, you know, says that sleepwalking is often an early sign of schizophrenia or multiple personality disorder. Uh, no, it's not. Like that's the <laughs> dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, but they they want to give her this EKG. But it's really weird because like when she's taking an EK the, the EKG, she starts having these flashes of memories from the night before, and like she sees the dead girl and whatnot. And like when she's getting the EKG, she's like she acts like it's shocking her yeah i'm not a doctor but i don't think that's how ekgs no. work <laughs> i was thinking the same thing they just read they don't uh, yeah they don't do anything right. to you <laughs> but she freaks out and she uh she runs you know she's very defiant and says i'm not crazy and you know i'm not high or whatever all these other things that they accuse her of. So uh, she goes out and she she talks to Sophie and she's like, look, I probably won't sleepwalk again, but will you watch me through the night just in case? And Sophie says yes. And then Sophie immediately leaves, like as soon as she falls asleep. Um, (laughs) Sophie goes, yeah, she's perfect. She's like the kids in A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh yeah, we'll totally watch your back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Except in this case, she's sneaking out to see her boyfriend or something. Yeah, to get get some action or whatever. I I thought was one of the guys in the car. Am I mistaken? 
I don't know. Uh, I didn't know who he was. I, I had no idea. But anyway, okay, so Sophie goes out, and then Jennifer starts to sleepwalk again. Meanwhile, uh, Sophie's boyfriend is like, oh, yeah, well, I can only stop by. I've got to go. And she's like, okay, whatever. And so then she starts getting chased by the same scary figure with the put-together harpoon or whatever it is mm-hmm. he or she has and eventually she gets killed and uh jennifer wakes herself up from sleepwalking but she hears somebody scream and so she goes out i guess to investigate yeah. and a firefly leads her to a glove in a tree yes and so <laughs> this, this, oh my gosh the sequence is so weird the thing is, like, she goes outside, which is stupid, right? And you're thinking, right. all right, she's going to die, too. And, of course, the wind picks up. And she doesn't seem to be sleepwalking at this point, right? Because mm-hmm. she encountered the locked door. The one good thing Sophie did do was lock the door like she said she would. So right. it seems like the locked door, like, jolts her out of it. So she's outside. She's totally lucid. And the this music picks up. And it's a it's really good music. I mean, it's this classic Argento I, sw- I would swear Goblin wrote it, but apparently they didn't. Anyway, uh, it, it, it pumps, and it's driving, and it's exciting. It almost feels like like chase music, but this whole scene is like 10 minutes long, and it's super slow. The, she's just wandering outside, very slowly stepping, looking around. This firefly comes around and starts buzzing around. She looks up, and it dances around a bit and lands on her palm. And then it comes up and it starts flying away and she's like slowly it's like slowly leading her away and so she's slowly following it and into some bushes and I guess it's like really tangled up but then she decides she needs to stick her hand in there and so she carefully pushing her hand through and avoiding some thorns and pulls out this glove I mean the whole time this music's going it's like I'm waiting for the killer to jump out and get her but you know it just doesn't and sure enough she finds the glove she looks at it, the wind stops, and she walks back inside. It turns out that the glove had some maggots on it. Well, and it gets a little bit jumbled here because I feel like they were trying – they wanted to get several scenes in, and they just kind of seemed like they had to wedge them in. Like she goes and she talks to the entomologist again, and, you know, again, they just kind of have – a discussion about how the bugs like you or whatever and and maybe they can help you or whatever. Um, But then we go back to the school – and the girls and the headmistress are, like, plotting against Jennifer. Like, um, the headmistress wants to plant a girl in her room to keep an eye on her. And one of the girls grabs a letter that she had written to her dad. And in the letter it says, you know, they think that maybe I have multiple personalities. And I think maybe I do, too, because my new personality can talk to bugs or something. <laughs> and they they start teasing her about this. And they're, like, pretending to be bugs. And then they start chanting, we worship you, we worship you. Um, and she breaks away, and she's facing them as a group. Uh, the wind starts to blow, and the Inside. light changes on her face. Right. She somehow psychically calls an enormous swarm of flies that then descend on the school and are, like, covering every single window. and That shuts them up real quick. <laughs> yeah, right. 
And, and so then somehow, I don't know how it works. I, I feel like they try to sedate her or they do sedate her or something and they're going to send her to the loony bin. That's yeah. the headmistress. Like, we're going to send her to the crazy farm or something. She faints uh, after this whole spell. And when she wakes right. up, she's got an IV in her arm. Yep. But the headmistress leaves a nurse to keep an eye on her. The nurse falls asleep. She escapes and she goes back to the entomologist. And this is where the detective work begins because the entomologist tells her, okay, that larva that you brought me from the glove is a very specific type of larva the sarcophagus the grand larva yeah. yeah the great sarcophagus lava larva he's got one of the flies that comes from this larva and he's like it's time to get the two greatest known detectives Detect- ever on the case he's like maybe i should say unknown and she's like what and he's like well the detectives are you and the fly and you're gonna be partners <laughs> you're gonna be partners and the fly is gonna lead you to the dead bodies and she's like well but i don't even know where to start and he's like well we know where this one girl was f- where her body was found so the killer is probably around there when you get near to the killer's house You'll know about it soon enough because the sarcophagus will go crazy and head straight for the dead bodies. All you have to do is follow it and come straight back. Do you feel up to it? Yeah. So he sends her in this fly out alone. <laughs> yeah, this 14-year-old girl to and a fly to go find the killer. Right, right. <laughs> the killer of 14-year-old girls, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> he helps her up to that point. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then he sets her loose. At least this fly's not trying to make love to her. The earlier <laughs> the, the, the earlier scene when they established a psychic connection, it's just it's just this really creepy, creepy scene toward the beginning of the movie when they first meet when the fly is all some bug is crawling all over her and he's like, Oh, it's making a sound that uh that's unusual like this is this is the mating sound she's like oh and then he's like well that's really strange because it's not mating season she's like oh yeah he's like you're really having an effect on this bug she's like yeah i guess i am (laughs) he's like no like you're really exciting him he's really excited by you and i'm thinking where is this going like okay we get it (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh yeah so they're so on they the bus. Go, so you're right. They're on the bus. The the 14-year-old girl and the fly take a bus trip. And um, they uh, she gets into a fight with some lady on the bus about the, <laughs> having the window open or something. It's totally random. And uh, But then uh, Donald Pleasance had told her, the fly will start to freak out when you're close. So you'll know when you're close because the fly will start to freak out. So the fly starts to freak out. So she gets off the bus. And she lets the fly out, and the fly starts leading her, and it leads her to the house from the beginning of the movie that the first girl had been killed at. Well, she she goes and she investigates the house, and she doesn't really find anything, but when she's, like, standing on a stool or something trying to pull down some documents off of a shelf, the leg of the stool breaks a hole in the floor. But immediately then after that, the groundskeeper or, like, the real estate agent who's representing this house shows up and kicks her out, and, and he's like, nobody lives here, nobody's lived here since eight months ago when the former tenants left. And so she leaves, but we see the uh, fly fly down into that hole in the floorboard, and we see that there are body parts down there. Yeah. Um, so she definitely was on the right track. She just didn't quite get there. Now, um, and, now this is still yeah. a pretty tense scene, though, because we expect there's going to be something there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, in fact, there's a car that 
we saw in a few shots earlier that seems to be trailing her. But he doesn't make a big deal out of it. Like, you kind of think, oh, well, maybe the car just turned behind the bus at some point. But then while she's in there, you see a shot of the car blocking the driveway out the window. So there's somebody there. And then it zooms in ominously on the tailpipe of this car. And I really like what Argento does here visually, because up to this point, he's been showing us a lot of these ominous silvery things, right? The spear and the scissors at the beginning, all glinting and silvery, all in close-up. And so when he zooms in on the tailpipe of this car, it's just polished bright silver, you know, like a sports car. Mm -hmm. And it gives you this just a subconscious feeling like, oh no, you know, she's in danger here. But I think it just turns out to be the the car of the real estate agent. No, it's the it's the detective. Oh, it's the I detective think. who comes after yeah. him. Okay. Yeah, because the detective uh, after she leaves, the detective comes and talks to the real estate guy and he's like, Well, who lived here, you know, last? And the guy's like, Oh well, I can't tell you that it's confidential. And that's kind of all we get well, uh, out of I, that. I think he gets the important bit of information, though, that the last tenant was in there about eight months ago. Yes, right, right, yeah. which makes sense with the timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we get this weird scene where Inga, the monkey, is outside the entomologist's house, and she's, like, distracted by a kite in a tree. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if this was something intentional, like somebody put that there I to distract so. her. I okay. think so. So so somebody put that there to distract her, and so she's messing with it, and while she's messing with it, um, somebody goes into the house and closes and locks the door behind them. And Inga goes to the door and starts pounding on it, and she's kind of freaking out, and then she goes to a window, and, and she's pounding on the window, and she starts breaking into the window like she's breaking the the blinds or whatever, and then she's kind of trying to break in. Meanwhile, the entomologist... Um, is coming down his stair lift in his wheelchair, and we see finally somebody actually in like a trench coat and gloves, and they stop the uh, <clears throat> they stop the chair lift, and then they start it again. And when he comes down, he gets impaled with that um, spear. I guess then the killer flees. Inga gets inside, and she's obviously sad at first, but then she's mad. And so she runs outside, and the killer's driving away, and she attacks the car. Yeah. I thought this this was really a touching scene, though. I did, too. Yeah, right? Because as Inga's outside, and she sees the door close in the front of the house, it's like she realizes she's been tricked, and she's running up there and desperately trying to get in the house, and she's breaking through a window in the door and reaching in, so she can see, as she's trying to get in the house, she sees you know, what she can't stop in front of her, this whole scene unfold and this guy get killed. Um, and you, yeah, when, he gets, when she gets in there, she just like goes up to him and pokes him and just looks immediately it's just really sad <laughs> it was sad it was sad i i agree and uh, i was you know i was kind of rooting for her when she got mad and she she attacks the car but the killer kind of like swerves the car around so she gets thrown off but then <laughs> She goes walking through the forest, Inga the monkey, and she finds a trash can, um, and she digs through it for about five seconds before she finds a straight razor, (laughs) and then she's ready to go. So so random. (laughs) Oh, gosh. A very silvery, you know, straight razor. Yep, yep, sharp, you know, because you would find, I mean... 
who doesn't just throw their straight razors away? You know, you know like, <laughs> you're hiking in the woods, you're shaving, you're done. You're you done know, with it. it's beautiful. <laughs> you clean it off very nicely, and then you throw it away. <laughs> Didn't right. Jennifer actually see this happen? Wasn't Jennifer around to kind of? I don't this? think so. Okay, I thought she. Kind I don't of was... think so. All right, maybe I... because Jennifer is in town and she wants to get the heck out of there. She's on the phone with her dad's manager, or financial manager, or something. And she wants to leave, and she's like, I'm serious. I want out of here. I'm not going back to that school. Somebody is trying to kill me. you got to get me out of here. Wire me some money. And I guess he says he will. So she goes to the bank and, and checks, and no money has been wired. And um, so she waits, and you know she checks in every once in a while, but no money comes through. And eventually this lady shows up. Now, we've seen this lady before. She, I, I think that she's like the headmistress's assistant or something. Yeah, or teacher at the school or something, yeah. Right. She's just kind of this homely lady who's just kind of been around in the background um, in all of the school scenes. But we've never really – I mean she's not been any kind of significant character at all. Not at all. But she shows up. Your father's attorney, Mr. Shapiro, called us from New York. He was very worried about you and extremely angry with us for, let's say, losing you. What a bastard. He sounded very reasonable on the phone. He spoke to me and only calmed down when I told him I would come for you myself. He said I would find you here. I'm not going back to that school. Of course not. He said you want to go back to America immediately, is that true? Yes. Well, he authorized me to buy your ticket and give you some money. So she... <laughs> right. So she takes her home and immediately starts acting really, really weird. Yeah. All the mirrors in her house are covered up. And Jennifer's like, why? And she's like, because I don't live here alone. I told you that. I have a small son, and he's very sick. And seeing his reflection upsets him. Sometimes I think he's driving me crazy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just out of nowhere. And apropos of nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it's just that, I mean, she's so shady, and all of a sudden I'm like, are you serious? Like, <laughs> we've gotten this far into the movie, and we really have never even met this woman before, and now all of a sudden she's acting all weird and crazy. And, like, she looks at Jennifer Connelly, and she's like, oh, you don't look good. You have a fever. And Jennifer's like, no, I don't. And she's like, yes, you do. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go get you some medicine. So she goes and gets these pills, and she's like, here, take these pills. And Jennifer's like, I don't want to. And she's like, take the pills. <laughs> They fight about the pills, and finally she's like, fine, I'll take your pills. And I'm thinking, she's really not going to take those pills, is she? She's, getting, <laughs> right? she's, she's like, she goes into the bathroom, and she and the woman's like, what are you doing in there? And she's like, I'm going in to take your pills. She's like, well, why are you closing the door? And she just closes the door and locks it. And I'm thinking, okay, she's going in the bathroom to pretend that she's taking the pills, but she's not actually going to take the pills because this woman it clearly wants too badly for her to take these pills. And she takes a pill. Right. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> this, I know. This, you're right. This is where the movie totally goes off the rails. It really goes off the rails here. <laughs> it's it's bizarre. So she takes the pill, and then as soon as she's taken the pill, then she starts to see maggots everywhere. Like, there's maggots in the sink, and there's maggots on the towel, and there's maggots on the wall. And then, immediately, she starts to get really sick, and she's like, ah, the pill poison. is poison! Um, so, she, so she barfs it up, and then she runs out, and she tries to call somebody, but the lady hits her in the head. Yeah! And then somebody arrives and, like, rings the doorbell, and this woman goes around the house pushing all these buttons, and, like, this house is like a fortress! It's like all it goes like, on all- lockdown. <laughs> 
Yeah, all these like steel walls like drop down over the windows and stuff. Like, what is going on? It's so funny though. Like it, it just watching this scene just made me so angry because, like, this woman is 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 like pounding on the door. What are you doing in there? What are you doing there? You're taking the pills, aren't you? You're taking the pills, aren't you? And don't lock the door. Come out. And so she comes out. The woman goes rushes into the bathroom, and Jennifer Connelly, who at this point you would think would be running out of the house. Right. Sees a telephone and decides to run to the phone instead to make a phone call. Her back totally to this crazy lady mm-hmm. who then, like you said, you know, comes up trying to wrestle the phone away from her. Don't call anybody. I have a rule. You can't call anybody in my house. I need to call. No, you're not going to call. Again, so she throws her down the, into the dining room or whatever and then turns her back on her to try to make that phone call again. Like, are you mm-hmm. serious? Which is why the lady comes up behind her and knocks her out. Yeah. It's so bad. It's so bad. It, it's, it is. It's pretty stupid. And then, so then the lady, I don't even, her name's Bruckner or something. I don't know. It doesn't matter. She goes outside and the detective's out there and he's like asking some questions and they're just walking along together and we don't really know what's going on. Meanwhile, Jennifer's in the house and um, she runs all around and everything's locked, but she finds this one door that has like a grate above it uh, that she can open and, and she stands up on a chair and she looks through there and there's a phone in there. So she gets some kind of pole. I don't even know what that was. Some, some kind of pole. pole thing. Yeah, like so know. convenient that she was able to find this extended pole right when she needed right. it with a hook at the end. And she picks up the phone, and this takes a good five minutes of her messing with the phone. And and she finally gets it almost all the way up, and then she drops it, and it falls to the floor, and it falls into this hole in the floor that seems like it must be like 20 feet deep because (laughs) the phone just keeps going and going and going. And pulls the cord taut. Right, pulls the cord taut. Okay, so then she – well, she hears a scream. She hears a man scream. So she decides that she's going to crawl through that window thing and she does and um she starts to pull the phone out but then she hears another scream or she hears the lady come in and so she crawls down in the hole and this hole is not even deep like it no. just runs parallel to the ground so it doesn't make any sense that no. it would have fallen all the way in there it's, it's and, like a tunnel yeah, and so she's crawling through this tunnel, and she eventually finds the phone. And <laughs> she stops at the tunnel to make the phone call. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is a tunnel that she's, like, crawling through. The phone is in the middle of it, you know, by now, I guess. And so she stops there to make the call. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was funny. That was funny. It me. was funny, and, and she doesn't – I don't even remember why she doesn't make the call, but, like, we see behind her these bloody arms come in behind her, and they grab her and pull her out. And I was thinking it was probably going to be the son or whatever the mom – was keeping there but it wasn't it's the detective and he's all cut up like the the woman has beaten him and i don't know what all she did to him but he looks a mess um but of course jennifer's scared so she's kind of fighting him and when she gets away from him she falls backward into this huge vat of bodies and slime and And maggots maggots. and like it's just it's so gross and she's just flopping around in there it's the most disgusting pit you could possibly imagine and i've seen disgusting pits in horror movies but i think this Mm -hmm. one has to kind of take the cake and she doesn't just like oh and kind of stand up like she's like drowning in it she's like flopping around she's like having trouble getting out she's falling back into it i mean it's it's like it's so torturous, it's almost funny. It's almost like the Bruce Campbell treatment on this 
poor girl. Yeah. Oh, it, it is. It really is. And it's so nasty. Um, and so Bruckner, the woman, comes in and just kind of stands there and maniacally laughs. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Meanwhile, the detective behind her is trying to get out of his chains, but he his hand won't fit through. So he he breaks his hand so he can get his hand out. And he, he gets a hold of the woman and gets her down. And he's like beating her and then he's throttling her. And Jennifer gets out of the pit and runs away. And she ends up in that dream hall. It's not all bright and lit like it was in her dream, but it's definitely the hallway from her dream. And she's running through there, and she hears crying. And she looks in one of the rooms, and there's a little boy standing in the corner with his back to her. And she's like, it's okay. Everything's going to be okay. And he's like, go away. And she's like, I know your mommy was bad, but it's going to be okay now. And the boy turns around, and he is completely, hideously disfigured in the face. Like, really, really gross. (laughs) Like, beyond young Jason Voorhees gross. Yes. And apparently his appearance is based on some actual disorder. It's like a chromosomal disorder, which, when I read that, I was like, oh, that's awful. (laughs) You know, like, this is one of those things that you wouldn't wish on anybody i mean it was just terrible um so she runs away and (laughs) she runs out of a tunnel and then she's on a lake so she jumps in a boat and starts the boat and starts to go away on the boat and the the disfigured son comes running down the dock and jumps into the boat and is like attacking her and he's got that spear thing and he's like jabbing it at her um so once again she calls her friends the bugs (laughs) 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 and the bugs swarm the kid and like i guess they're biting him or something so he like starts ripping his face off uh, and then he falls into the water presumably dead in this whole scuffle the gas tank had been punctured by the spear. So when Jennifer goes to try to start the engine, it catches on fire, um, and she realizes that it's going to explode. So she jumps into the water. It does explode. We get lots of underwater shots here, which you and I are both fans of underwater f- you know, photography, mm-hmm. and it- it's good here. It you is. Know, it's oh, cool. The lighting Jennifer is Con- amazing. The lighting is really good, and Jennifer Connelly is swimming you know, underwater, and there's fire above her. And it really is pretty stunning to look at. And she surfaces a couple of times, but she's, I guess, swimming to shore. And eventually her ankle gets grabbed, and it's the disfigured kid, and they struggle underwater, but she gets away. It's, it's another one of those like um, movie physics moments where this, this kid who's also underwater, who's like half her size, could possibly be yanking her around. Like he's got nothing to pull her against. Right. <laughs> well, and she's screaming and screaming and screaming like <laughs> underwater. <laughs> underwater. Like she has an right. endless supply of oxygen <laughs> under there. But eventually she gets away from him and I get I think he like catches on fire or surrounded by fire or something. He's out of the picture. So you think the movie's over. She comes walking up out of the water, you know, in her whole white outfit, and you know, she ascends out of the water and Um, she's walking up and, and a car approaches and a guy jumps out and she's like, oh, yay. And it's her, it's Morris, her dad's business agent. And you think this is the end. He's going to grab her and put her in the car and they're going to drive away and everything's going to be fine. But instead, as he approaches from behind, somebody chops his head off. Just (laughs) out of freaking nowhere. (laughs) 
It's so it, it it the movie up to this point, this last you know twenty minutes has just been utterly cuckoo. Um, yeah, this is just the icing on the cuckoo cake. <laughs> oh, but it gets even better because okay, yeah. so it's 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 Bruckner who at this point I had just started calling Mrs. Voorhees because it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's so close in story. Um, but it's her and she's like, ha ha, you, you know, you killed my son and I had to kill all those people to try to protect him, but you're Snoopy and so I had to kill your friends and whatever and um so she attacks jennifer and she has her down on the ground and she's strangling her i think and she's like go ahead and call your bugs now just you try and it's looking like all is lost but then from behind somebody slits bruckner's throat and she falls down and it's inga (laughs) with with, with her straight with her straight razor (laughs) i honestly i didn't see that coming because first of all i in a movie where a lot doesn't really make sense, I really didn't put together why the monkey was getting a straight razor. That's <laughs> my fault. Uh, but then I totally forgot about him by this point. I mean, you know, almost 30 minutes or 40 minutes has passed, you know, since he got his right. razor. So uh, I, that came out as a shock. I thought she was going to call her insects again. I did too, but I liked that it was Inga. And so then yeah. Inga and Jennifer have a nice little reunion. And this is the scene where Jennifer Connelly got bit. I guess apparently the... Uh, the monkey kept like turning around so that its back was to the camera, and um, Argento didn't want to film the monkey's butt, you know, for that whole scene. So it's an ugly butt. he told, yeah, he told Jennifer to put her hand on the monkey to try to stop it from turning around. Well, that pissed the monkey off, and it bit her finger off. <laughs> and they had to take her to the hospital, yeah, and reattach it. But they did successfully reattach it. But then I guess the monkey was hostile towards her throughout the rest of the movie, which which would be kind of scary as an actress to have it a hostile be. monkey after you. <laughs> Especially such a young actress, but, you know, you suffer for your craft. <laughs> Lose a finger. Lose a friend. <laughs> and that's it. I mean, that's the end of the movie. And I got to say, like I said, it sounds so silly and it is so silly, but there was something about it. And I don't know what it is. I think maybe a lot of it is Jennifer Tilly just because I like her so much. Jennifer. Jennifer um, uh, uh, I did it too. Jennifer yep. Connolly. Right. <laughs> um, just because I do like Jennifer Tilly too. But Jennifer Connolly. <laughs> I just like her so much, even though she's kind of bratty in some of this, and even though her acting is certainly not Oscar-worthy. I mean, she's obviously very young, but she's just got a presence, and she's got a charm, and she's so strikingly beautiful in such a unique way. She's nice um, to She's watch. just fun, fun to watch. And I liked the monkey. <laughs> <laughs> it's always impressive. Like, this movie is pretty ambitious, actually, when you think about it. I mean, when you're writing this script and you're thinking about what you're going to have to film later, that you put a chimpanzee in this film and then a bunch of bugs that are, you know, flies and things that are going to have to do all this stuff. It's pretty ballsy. And he pulls it off really without a problem. Yeah, it is pretty ballsy. I mean, there were some pretty impressive things that they did, like that scene where the flies um, attack the kid at the end. Uh, I guess that they brought in like thousands and thousands of fly larvae and they just waited for them to hatch. And when they all hatched, they immediately called the actor to set, got him into costume and makeup. The, the kid was played by a little person, by the way. And they covered him in like glucose solution so that the flies would be attracted to him. And so he really was swarmed by all these real live flies. And once they had the footage, they got them all off of them and they just released them out into 
the town, and apparently, like, these flies were a pest for the town for, like, the next several weeks. <laughs> but, you know, that kind of thing, that's that's pretty ambitious in the days before CGI when you had to go practical, and um, it looked good, and uh, I don't know. I, I think that this is a movie that would probably be polarizing. I think that some people are really going to appreciate its kind of unique charm, and other people are just going to think it's really stupid. Yeah. I think part of why I like it so much is I just thought it was beautiful to watch. I mean, yeah. we already talked about how nice it is to watch uh, Jennifer, uh, but honestly, the cinematography is gorgeous. Every mm-hmm. scene, just and, and Argento just has this way. You know, when you watch horror movies, you get used to seeing a lot of dark and grungy and, you know, scenes that aren't really crafted, that aren't well lit and things like that. In this, there are colors and it's well lit and it's just crisp and clean and it just, it looks like it was shot yesterday, you know, by mm-hmm. a guy who really cared about every image he was putting up on the screen. That's one of the reasons I just, I just enjoy watching his movies so much that I'm willing to overlook the ridiculousness of so much of it because like I said I just don't think he cares about the plot I I totally agree with you and the more of his movies that I see the more that I appreciate his craft I mean he's really skilled at what he does and it is you know it's artful uh, and that reads very much on the screen I really like it Um, apparently uh, in 2001 there were talks of doing a sequel to this movie but uh, Argento couldn't do it I guess it it conflicted with the contract that he was under with whatever studio he was with and so um, it never happened which is probably okay but Anyway, we'll probably not be seeing Phenomena 2 anytime in the near future. But, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting little movie. I'm, I'm glad we watched it. You know, it's, it's kind of odd and different and yeah. uh, different than the things that we've been watching lately. So I, I had a good time. Yeah, I did too. I'd, I'd recommend this movie. But you got to – it feels really long. It just There are moments in which it really feels slow. And so you've got to watch it at a moment where you're in the mood for that kind of movie. You're not going to be impatient, you know. Yeah, don't watch it when you're when it's you know I don't know coming on midnight and you, you got to finish watching this film for a podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was my mistake. <laughs> well, thank you again for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. You can find us on Google Play iTunes and Stitcher, anywhere your favorite podcasts are. You can also find us on Facebook where we have a page there. Like us there. Share this with a friend. Please let us know what you think of the podcast, what films you'd like us to see next. And also, if you visit our website, which is linked from there as well, you can see some written reviews of horror movies too that we post every Thursday. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys and a chainsaw. Chainsaw.